Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 95, and it was a delight to have Lisa Turkhurst back on the show. We discussed her new book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget, and it's real, man. We got into grief, acknowledging pain, why forgiveness is important for our healing, and then like how to give it to someone who really doesn't deserve it or when you really can't. Like, How do you ensure that your whole life now isn't tainted because of what happened? And, and maybe that someone else's deservingness is the wrong lens for us to use when it comes to forgiveness. So she is full of grace and compassion. This is nothing but good news, though it's hard work. Anyway, I really commend it to you. I was so blessed to to have this time with Lisa. Her new book really hit me in a lot of ways. I have read a lot on forgiveness. I've written on forgiveness. And there's uh, some fresh insight in here that that I think will be helpful for many of us. So last time we spoke, amazingly, was November 2018. I mean, I feel like I've lost all track of time now, thanks to COVID. But I mean, your life in that time has been packed with, I can't even imagine the the ups and downs, the crucible of life. Uh, would you be willing to catch all of us up on the events in your marriage and your life and kind of... For those of you, those of our, our people who don't follow you so closely, the last time we spoke, it was all about your, it's not supposed to be this way. And you were very real with us, very raw. I was, I was blessed by your vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So in 2016, in early 2016, um, I found out my husband of over two decades was being unfaithful. And it's, you know, I know it's shocking when anyone finds out about a betrayal. um, But when it's happening to you, Um, and you felt like you've done everything to prevent it, it can be doubly dysregulating. And I was shocked. I was devastated. Um, I, even though I very much knew my husband's choices were his own, it evoked a tremendous amount of shame and even condemnation in me because I, I, I knew that people would say things like, well, you know, it takes two to tango and, um, you know, there's always two sides to every story. And, you know, I understand that that is true, that when there's two people involved, there's always two people contributing to dancing in dysfunction. But um, <clears throat> I'll also say that when when someone's in a marriage and they're, one person is struggling with addictions, it it is, it's a whole different ball game than, um, than just a normal irreconcilable differences kind of scenario. And so I didn't really understand what I was dealing with. And it set us off into a pattern of this dysfunctional dance where I kept trying to rescue him. I kept trying to prevent him from ever hitting bottom because I knew if he hit bottom, so would we, you know, me and my kids, those consequences would be unleashed upon us as well. Um, I did not have a lot of understanding at that point of 
codependency. I didn't have a lot of understanding of the addictive cycle, the shame cycle. And I've learned a lot in the past couple of years, but to catch everyone up, um, it, I, I had great hope when we first started our journey of counseling to, uh, try to, repair what had been so broken and so damaged. I had great hope that we would come back together, but after 18 months, there were more discoveries that were made. And I realized we'd never even started our journey. And that can also just crush your heart beyond what you feel like you can bear. And so I remember sitting across from my counselor and him saying to me, do you want to heal? And I said, yes, I do want to heal. And then he said, well, today's a good day to start working on forgiveness. And I remember looking at him thinking, are you crazy? Are you high? Have you been doing some kind of drugs that has made you, you know, not tuned into reality? Because how could I possibly even consider forgiveness when I don't even know the full story yet? I don't think that you know, this other person is even sorry. I mean, my husband hasn't even said that he wants to reconcile. Is it even possible to forgive if you can't reconcile? And is it possible to forgive if you don't know how the story is going to turn out? And what about the fact that, you know, I'm not even sure if he fully understands that what he did was so devastatingly wrong. So if I forgive, is that saying my pain doesn't matter? Because it very much does matter. And so, Jonathan, you know, I was in this weird place where as a Christian, I knew that the Bible said I should forgive, but I thought, surely there are exceptions to God's command to forgive, right? Surely. And if there are, I'm going to find them. So I went on this hunt in the Bible. I spent over a thousand hours studying forgiveness in the Bible because I just felt like there has to be something I'm missing here. Because honestly, when you're hurting so deeply, forgiveness can feel like a command so cruel that the one who is hurting then has to do the hard work of forgiving. And so that catches you up a little bit in my journey. Now, the last time we spoke, just after that, I'll fast forward and, um, My husband did do the humble, often, you know, really hard work of winning his family back. And the Lord eventually captured his heart, tendered his heart. He got serious about therapy. He got serious about getting healed from his addictions. And um, it was a turnaround that I did not expect. And I was quite honestly very shocked by and very skeptical by, Mm. you know, trust is a very quick thing to get broken, but it's very hard to reestablish. Trust is built time plus believable behavior. So, you know, when we're in a situation that I was still working on my forgiveness process. And I just kept thinking, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can believe you. So it took a long time. We didn't live in the same house for over two and a half years. So that's a long separation. But 
after time plus long stretches of believable behavior, um, my husband asked if we could renew our vows and, um, and we did. And it was a, an unusually warm day in December of 2018 when that happened. And I'm grateful. I'm so, so grateful, but I do want any listener who is saying, well, that's awesome, Lisa, that your story ended in reconciliation. And so maybe that's why you were able to forgive, but mine did not. And I just want to say, I know that pain too, because my mom went through the same thing and my dad never came home. So I was a little girl desperate for a dad that did not return back. Um, So I know both sides of the story, but here's what I also know, Jonathan, with God, Redemption is possible even when, and maybe especially when reconciliation isn't possible. Mm. And there's no easy journey here. You know, sometimes God rescues us out of relationships and God sometimes restores us in relationships. But regardless, our story being a redemption story is not dependent on anyone else's choices, but our own. Mm. Wow. Thank you for for the depth and detail on that. I can, I feel like we could jump off in any direction on any number of statements you've just made that I know are only born out of pain and earned learning, you know, earned authority to make some of those statements. I'm also a child of divorce. My parents Mm. separated when I was 18, right? Just before I got married. I don't know if you find this, but I find it that I keep bumping into more areas of loss and grief due to my parents' divorce as 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 I get older. It it doesn't dissipate; it increases. I think it's partly because of like my children, you know, and me wanting to establish and lean into family traditions. But I long for a home and hearth that doesn't exist. Um, and I don't say that to shame my parents it's at all. It's just, yes, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think it's really wise for you to acknowledge that that longing is tied to grief. And I wrote about this in the book too, when the unchangeable is sometimes it feels like it can be unforgivable. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying this about your situation with your parents, but grief creates such maddening loss in our life. I wrote in the book, grief is dreaming in reverse. Hmm. Because you think about it like, you know, when you have dreams, you usually think about running into your future. Like one day I'll start a podcast. One day I'll write a book. One day I'll open a coffee shop. You know, one day I'll lose those 10 pounds or a hundred pounds or whatever it is, you know? So that's us running into the future and imagining a scenario that looks a little brighter, a little better, a little more accomplished than where we're at right now. And it's fun to do that. But grief is us walking back into our past, remembering what used to be that no longer is. And so that's why I say grieving is dreaming in reverse because you go back and you wish you could recapture those moments before the devastation, before the divorce, before the discovery. And, you know, it's, it's a maddening process because you can't turn back the hands of time. 
And so it's the most frustrating kind of dreaming and it sits on you so heavy. So just like you're saying, you know, you keep encountering these scenarios as you walk forward into your life where you have to face reality of what is and is not all over again. And it's hard. It's really hard. And I think acknowledging that pain is very, very important. I teach in the book, um, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, that forgiveness is both a decision and it's a process. So we make the decision to forgive when, and that's, that's our obedience to God. You know, God says in the Bible to forgive. So we make the decision to forgive and that's a marked moment in time. And I always encourage people to have that marked moment in time, write out your pain, start there. Don't start with gritting your teeth and mustering up the strength to forgive. Start with your pain, fully acknowledging your pain. And honestly, Jonathan, I think it's helpful to do this with a counselor or a really close trusted friend, because there's something very powerful when we pour out our pain to have another person dare to bear witness to that pain. Yes. Look at you and say, I believe you. What happened to you was hard. No wonder you found that devastating. And I just want to say to any listener out there, if no one has ever done this with you, I'll do this with you. I'm so sorry for what happened. I'm so sorry for how they hurt you. I'm so sorry that they walked away from you or that they stayed and traumatized you. I don't know what your circumstance is, but what I... What I do know is that pain is real and it's raw and I believe you. But I also want to say you deserve to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. And the only way to sever the suffering is to unhitch your decision to forgive to that other person Hmm. because you can never control the choices They may or may not ever acknowledge what they did was wrong. They may or may not ever say they're sorry, but you don't have to live your life attached to them. You can unhitch your choice to heal from choices they may or may not ever make. And you do that by making a decision to forgive. So you list out your pain and you say, I forgive this person for this. And you name the facts of exactly what happened. And then Oftentimes you have to remember our feelings are not super eager to sign up for this process. Sometimes our feelings are the very last thing to sign on to this. So if you're an especially authentic person like I am, you can feel like, I don't know, I don't really feel it. You know, have you ever had that? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I also have very big feelings, Lisa. (laughs) I have very big feelings too. You know, when you, when you feel big and you love deeply, you get hurt deeply, you know? This is an ongoing conversation. Sorry to interrupt you between my wife and I, because I expect the best from everybody. And I wake up each morning with the expectation that the world is good and that good things are going to happen. And I'm constantly disappointed, whereas my wife is is a more guarded person by nature. And she often says to me, just lower your expectations and you'll be you'll be less disappointed. But that doesn't feel like me being me. I know, Jonathan, we, you might be my long lost brother. We might have <laughs> covered something here. We need to check our family trees because surely with all the crazy I've got in my family tree, somehow we must be related because I'm the same way. 
I have such a Pollyanna view of life, you know, and I really do. I expect the best of myself. So I expect the best of everyone. And I tend to find myself just saying, oh, no, they would never do that. And then I get so devastated when they do that, you know. So because my feelings are the last to sign on to this, um, my counselor taught me something really powerful He said, Lisa, forgiveness is not based on your determination. Forgiveness is based on your cooperation with what God is already providing. You you don't have to muster up this forgiveness. You see, as God's forgiveness flows to you, you can let it flow through you. You cooperate with, with this flow of forgiveness that God is creating. And I think that's so beautiful. So because my feelings don't often want to cooperate this with this, because, you know, hurt feelings don't often want to cooperate with holy instructions. Right. I'm going to say that one more time. Hurt feelings don't often want to cooperate with holy instructions. So I say to this person or just to my counselor or just in the quietness of my room, I forgive this person for the fact of how they've hurt me. And I list out all of my pain. And then I add, and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Hmm. In other words, I don't have to feel like forgiving this person. I can cooperate with God's forgiveness and trust that that is me being obedient and it's good enough. But remember, Jonathan, I said, forgiveness is both a decision, a moment in time where we have a marked moment that we forgive that person. And it's a process. We make the decision to forgive for the fact of what happened. But then we have to walk through the process of forgiveness, of forgiving that person for the impact that their choices had on us. When you forgive for the facts of what happened, you are being obedient to God. Okay, so that is your spiritual work. When you walk through the process of forgiveness, this is your emotional work because what that person did cost you emotionally. So every time you get triggered, you need to have another marked moment of forgiveness because now you need to forgive them for the impact that that had on you. Yes. So, like your situation, you know, it's going to be one of your children's birthdays, and you've always had this dream of like, the whole family coming together and celebrating the birthday, but there's family tension and there's situations that prevent this. So you could all of a sudden, even if you've forgiven what happened with your parents' divorce, you could be standing in your closet one day on a Saturday, getting ready for the birthday party and be overwhelmed, flooded with these disappointing feelings because today's party isn't going to look like what you dreamed of it looking like in terms of family togetherness. Yeah, it's like this this particular loss mm-hmm. hadn't yet happened. So right. I can only grieve it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. You couldn't have grieved it before you had kids because you didn't even have a birthday party. I mean, you didn't have a child to have a birthday party for, right? And so this is the process of forgiveness, forgiving for the emotional cost that you don't even become aware of until the future. And what happens sometimes people get triggered in their pain and then they go, oh, I must be a forgiveness failure. Maybe my forgiveness didn't stick. No, if you forgave that person, it did stick. 
But now that just means you forgave them for the fact of what happened. Now you have to forgive for the impact it's having on you now. And now I forgive my parents for this hurt and heartbreak that is happening in my life. And whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will cover it. And that's how decision, I mean, that's how forgiveness is both a decision and a process. That's fascinating. I had made a note about that that statement you said from your therapist about forgiveness isn't an act of my determination, that, that it's made possible by cooperation. The, the framework that I had been given some years ago was uh, forgiveness is solely a decision. And that felt like a that was a helpful evolution from the state of I only understood forgiveness as an emotion. And so if I didn't feel it, then I had no responsibility to it, right? It, it was pretty much like, I don't feel like I've let go of this, so I can't forgive you. So for me to be taught, well, actually, you need to choose to forgive, that that was a helpful development in my understanding. Mm-hmm. And then I think partly thanks to your, to your prior book and, and also my own trauma learning and my own work, began to learn the importance of actually grieving the loss, that in many ways that decision language had kind of led me towards an over-spiritualizing where I would deny any pain or loss that I experienced. And and I I remember even, even, I mean, two years ago, this devotional that I've just written has come out of my own journey and I remember this really marked day where I was I was feeling all this loneliness and grief and I tried to take it captive and like cast it out like a demon. And I felt my body react to me wow. basically because I'd already sort of started this like, Jonathan, I'm going to commit to feeling everything you have for me to feel so I can lift it up and process it and do things well and, and stop the spiritual bypassing. And then I tried to cast out an emotion I didn't like and I... Like my whole body kind of rebelled against me and was basically just like, sorry, you've already made a commitment. And so now we're going to hold you to it. So when, when you explain that forgiveness is really actually also, and maybe greater, it's something that we're leaning into the work of God that we get to participate within, but that the flow originates outside of us. That, even just like two days ago, as I was reading this, that felt like a a missing piece for me. Wow. That's awesome. Well, think about it. You know, let me, I'm going to have a confession time. Are you ready for confession time right here? Here we go. (laughs) So it's really hard to forgive for me sometimes when, because I feel deep, And I care so deeply. I'm always trying to do right by other people, but, and that's good, but where I can get in trouble is when other people don't do right by me, I start to feel like I'm the saint and they're the sinner. Mm -hmm. And when I feel like I'm the saint and they're the sinner, it's almost impossible to forgive Mm -hmm. because I get caught in this trap. Like they need to learn these lessons And if I don't teach them these lessons, then they could hurt me again or hurt other people. And so I have to withhold my forgiveness Mm -hmm. so that this, this anger that I'm feeling can teach them a lesson, a lesson that they desperately need to learn or else the scales of justice in this world are just going to be tipped way out of balance, not just for me, but for all mankind. So I'm really doing this for all mankind. Okay. 
It's very honorable. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Except it's not, but <laughs> but here's three the hail marys. Exactly. But when I feel like I'm the saint and they're the sinner, then I think I only need a little tiny bit of God's forgiveness. Mm, yeah. And I have very little compassion mm. on that other person. Now you can say, whoa, that person does not deserve my compassion. And you may be right, but does their deep woundedness deserve compassion? Mm. It probably does. And if we could peel back the curtain and see how the person who hurt us is hurting so much and we do not have to know the facts of how they've been wounded to know they've been wounded deeply because the only reason they would hurt you in the way that they hurt you is from their own deep wounds. Now, how do we know that that person, how do we know that people have experienced deep woundedness? How we know people have experienced deep woundedness is if they're breathing. <laughs> Seriously, are you a human? <laughs> are you a human? because that is part of the human experience. And so because that's part of the human experience, maybe we cannot have compassion on that person, but we can certainly have compassion on however they were traumatized, brutalized, beaten down, uh, shoved away, hurt, rejected, I mean, wounded in a deep way. And so if we can have compassion on the hurt that is inside of them, then it can lead us to eventually have enough compassion to see them in a different light. Not us as a saint and them as a sinner, but both of us as humans trying to find our way. And it doesn't make what they did right. Don't mistake this. And it doesn't mean that you need to continue to be in a relationship. Their abuse is wrong no matter what it's wrong. So you can draw boundaries in that relationship and here's the other thing. Forgiveness does not always entitle reconciliation. Mm. You can be biblically obedient to God and forgive that person and not enter back into a relationship with them. And that is not only okay, it is actually biblical. That's very, very important. It's very important. So when I say forgiveness is cooperation with what God has already done, what I mean is as we recognize that we are not the saint, we need God's forgiveness. And we do that through confession. Confession quiets the chaos inside of me. Hmm. Forgiveness then quiets the chaos between you and me. Let's take a quick break to thank my patrons. Thank you to everybody who chips in on Patreon.com. Whether you're giving $3 a month or $50 a month, your support means so much to me and my family. If you missed last week's episode, you got a little treat of my wife tearfully thanking everybody for their support. And that, that was real. Um, yeah, your support is such a blessing. Not just the finances, though they are, but of course your emotional support, your encouragement, your your kind messages. And thank you to everybody who bought a copy of my book, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. That is available from all good book retailers. And I've loved seeing the photos of you guys with the books or the <laughs> screenshots of you. I'm stuck on this page and things like that. So... Thank you so much to everyone who supports the show. If you'd like to become a supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Thanks very much. 
And so it's like confession allows me to receive God's forgiveness. And as God's forgiveness flows to me, all I have to do is cooperate with it and just let it flow through me. But if I have forgiveness flowing to me and I refuse to let it flow through me, that heavy weight of unforgiveness is a burden too much for the human heart to bear. So that's why this forgiveness is not as much for the other person as it is to sweep our heart clean. It's for us. And I think that's the piece I was missing for so long, Jonathan. Yes, yes, that's so good. And and the <laughs> the scriptural irony is that it's it's actually loving our enemies that pours the heaping coals of transformation onto their heads. So we, like you just stated, we may feel that that they need to learn this lesson and we will teach them that by our unforgiveness. But, but, but scripture is essentially the opposite. Like if you can love your enemies, if you can give them what they don't deserve, yes. that is actually, yes, you will be freed. But in the grander scheme of things, there is a transformation that you are that is being offered to that person. Obviously, that doesn't mean reconciliation, as as you're very cogently saying. Yeah, and you know, Jonathan, I love that you brought that scripture up too, because you know, it, think about what does what does a, a burning coal do? Well, it can hurt, it can sting, but it also brings to light what needs to be addressed. Oh, for sure. So when we when we are walking in forgiveness we are bringing light into dark places exposing the darkness not just in me not just in the world but in them as well and i think you know here's the other thing i know what it feels like again to be a justice person and be like wait 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 how do i know then that that person is ever going to realize what they did was so wrong. Well, here's the thing. When, when someone sins, sin is a package deal of consequences. It is. I mean, go all the way back to Genesis and the reason God told Adam, and then of course it also applied to Eve, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, God wasn't saying that because he was a killjoy God. God was saying that because he knew the consequences that would be unleashed when they participated in that sinful action. And so I think we are hyper aware. Jonathan, you're probably hyper aware. If I sin, there is always a cost. Like sin has built into it consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're hyper aware of that for ourselves. But when someone sins against us and we look at their life, on Instagram, uh, or we look at it on Facebook, we start to assume they got off scot free. But we cannot make that assumption because when wow. they participated in something hurtful, they are suffering and we do not have to see it to know that it exists. Wow. So we don't have to worry. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. We can place them in God's hands and trust God will teach them all the lessons that they need to learn. And you don't have to see it to know what's really happening. That is amazing. I have never connected the dots in that way before, but you're absolutely right. I totally know the consequences of my sin and it grieves me. And yet, when I look at others, I assume that they're getting off scot-free. Wow, that is, that is important. Something I, I want to come back to 
that you kind of moved, you touched on very briefly, but you you made some explicit statements about this in the book that I thought are an important gift for people. It's around the idea of of everything becoming tainted by the issue, by the infidelity in your case. You know, you talked about looking at photos and remembering with pain and anger, you know, I didn't even know that holiday we were on. We, he was, he was being unfaithful to me that whole time. And you described, you know, kind of removing photos from your house as I think most of us would consider very normal, but, but that you came to this point where you said, actually, some of those experiences were real and I'm not willing, you wrote, I'm not willing to deny what I authentically experienced. And I thought that is, that is remarkable because so often I, I really only hear like everything is tainted. I have to, from this day forward, start an entirely new life. And I, and I will, and one of the things thus that I have to grieve is every single thing that has happened behind today, because I can't go back there and it's all lost to me. But you sound like there's a, there's the possibility for cleansing of those things. That's right. I refuse to let the pain of today rewrite the memories of my past because you know, and I tell of the book in the book, this story of, um, have you ever had your phone send you those little memory movies? I don't even know. I logged into Facebook, you know, and it's like three yeah. years ago, this happened. Three years ago. Exactly. And it's kind of like, I didn't request this. I didn't put it together. They even put music to it. So it's super <laughs> sentimental, which is awesome because those pictures are treasures to us until they become painful reminders of something that really hurts and devastates us. Mm. And so I really wrestled with this because I got one of those memory movies, you know, of pictures that happened four years ago on this day. And um, I remember looking at that and I thought, oh my goodness, that's when he was having the affair and I didn't know it. And so I feel like such an idiot. I'm standing there smiling, laughing at this family gathering thinking something. And I felt like such a fool. And then I was really wrestling. Like, do I just delete all these pictures? Do I delete the memories? Do, do I rip up the family Christmas card from a couple of years ago? Do I burn all of my wedding photos? Like, what do I do about this? Because it, it feels so overwhelmingly devastating. But what I decided to do, Jonathan is to say, was I being authentic in that moment? Was I, was I being truthful? Was, was I being loving? Was, was that, that family photo we took together was, was I authentically there loving my family? Yes, I was. Therefore it is a memory I have every right to keep. And I'm not going to let the pain of another person's choices steal that memory from me. That's very precious to me. So I decided to divide up my memories into three categories or divide up those pictures or those family mementos or whatever it is into three categories. One, I have the absolute right to keep. Two, I have the absolute right to delete. Or three, I have the absolute right to make peace that that memory, that photo is 
a gentle combination of sorrow and celebration. And sometimes those two things just have to coexist in the very same photo. Wow. That's, that's a really helpful tool set. Thank you. I wonder if I can ask a question in a different direction. You said at the beginning, when you were catching us up on your life, that there had been things in your husband's life, addiction and so on, that in some ways you didn't have a full grasp of what you were really dealing with. And that your your understanding at that time essentially was, you know, I'm going to keep him safe or I'm going to kind of protect all these things so that he doesn't hit rock bottom because if he does, we do. Correct me if I'm paraphrasing anything incorrectly. You're now reunited. You have built a new marriage. Are there behaviors and ways of acting towards one another that you guys have had to change or be very intentional about? Um, Understanding that he's got to do his work and you've got to do your work, but how has that shifted your marriage? Such a good question. And, you know, this was hard when you're recovering from your spouse's infidelity. It can feel very much like if you go into counseling and they tell you something you need to work on as the hurt spouse, it can start to feel like absolutely not. Because if I admit that I have to work on this, then maybe that's you saying that I caused the affair because of this. So one of the most helpful things that our counselor did is to say, there are no excuses for him making the choice to go outside of our marriage. What anything I contributed would have been a good call for us to go to counseling, but it doesn't justify having an affair blow up your marriage. Mm. And so our counselor helps us recognize that. And this is part of what I mean by my husband doing the humble work to come back together and win our, and win my heart. And, and this was the beginning of me being able to trust him again is when he could look at me and say, I own this. These were my choices to make a hundred percent. And I am so sorry I never thought that I would get that moment, but I did. But here's the beautiful thing. I had already walked through the process of forgiveness before that moment even happened. So in that moment, it wasn't deeply satisfying something inside of me, like this revenge that I'm finally getting. That's not what it was. What it was is it allowed my heart to be swept clean enough to let those seeds be planted and start to blossom in the belief that maybe, maybe we could still have a beautiful love story. Maybe we could. Right. And instead of, uh, instead of me saying like, Oh, you know, now we have a broken marriage that's been repaired. I see that God has created something so beautiful. Do I wish that this would have never happened? I wish it with everything in my being, but do I still think we can have a pure marriage? A hundred percent. Do I still think that we can have a marriage that makes a difference for the kingdom of Christ? Yep. Do I still think that, um, I'm going to cry because of what happened? I still do cry because of what happened, but 
Is it still possible for us to have a very joy-filled marriage? It is. And eventually I got to a place, Jonathan, where I'm like, okay, now I got to work on some stuff because I started to feel like, you know, I can't just let him carry this. Like the dysfunctional dance that we got into, I contributed to it too. And so there are some choices that I've had to make that are different. There's choices he has to make in our everyday interactions that are different. And I would probably say, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through this whole process, and I'm still working on it, is how how it's possible to have honest conversations where we're able to say, hey, when you do this, it causes this in my life. So is there, is, you know, can we just work on this, you know? And it used to be if Art would say something like that to me, I would personalize it to such an extent. I would become deeply offended. I would tell him all the reasons that he needed to just, you know, go work on himself and leave me alone. And so, like I said, I'm still working on this, but I think learning how to be vulnerable and honest with one another without personalizing mm. what the other person is saying has been really crucial and good for us. Yes, that's so important. And I think I, you would probably agree having a therapist or a third party can really help diffuse that, especially, you know, if you're sitting down and saying, hey, he said this, I'm like, well, but let's unpack. And and when we get curious about why we have those strong reactions. Um, and oftentimes we have those strong reactions because not because of actual pain that's current between us. It's often because of some undealt with wound from our past. Totally. And my, I remember one time my counselor also taught me when it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have a out of proportion reaction to the offense at hand and you start getting hysterically angry or hysterically frustrated or mad, it's usually not just because of the issue that's right in front of you. It's usually attached to some unhealed wound of the past. So it's been helpful for me to go back and try to find those unhealed places in my past and work on those so that I can have better reactions today. Yes. So wise. Friends, I wholeheartedly commend Lisa's latest book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. I have read a ton of books on forgiveness and have written my own material on forgiveness. And in the introduction, I received a number of gentle gut punches regarding some forgiveness issues in my life and some ways forward. Uh, So I'm really thankful and I recommend it to all of you. Lisa, would you uh, be willing to pray for us? Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. Lord, help us to really be honest with ourselves about the pain that is in our life, the pain that's affecting us more than what we realize. I know personally that when hurt sits unattended in the human heart too long, it turns into different versions of hate and life is too precious for us and our heart, our, our hearts are too beautiful of places to have any versions of hate sitting inside of them. So help us sweep our hearts clean. Help us to realize that we deserve to stop suffering because of things that have happened to us and things that other people have done to us, Lord. So let us sever the suffering today through the power of forgiveness. Give us courage to recognize that forgiveness is as much a gift to ourselves as anyone else. 
Help us to be set free from the pain. There's been enough drama. It's time for an upgrade. It's time for us to walk in forgiveness. And so help us, Lord. I forgive this person for what they did to me. This is the pain that they caused. And whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. That was such a gift to me. Uh, even just listening to it again, editing it now, my soul and my heart. I've had, I've, sh- I've shed some tears actually sitting here in my office, processing some recent pains. So go and get Lisa's book. You'll find it linked in the show notes. It's really very, very good. So I highly recommend you go and pick that up. You can also pick up a copy of my book, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. It's a 30-day trauma-informed devotional that will teach you how to sense God's presence, feel and hear God's voice, learning to love yourself, and move in compassion and gentleness towards yourself. You'll find that linked in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for tuning in today, everybody. God bless you all. If you want to go follow me, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Jonathan Puddle. You'll also find me at JonathanPuddle.com. Grace and peace to you. Bye for now.